The reading this morning is from John chapter 4, starting at verse 43. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realised that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Well, well every, hello everyone. Uh, let me add my welcome to that of Steve's. It's good to see you. And isn't it wonderful to be looking at this Bible passage together? This is the last in the series in John. Uh, and we're at the end of John chapter 4. And uh, we've been learning some wonderful things. Um, and we have our second sign. Uh, seven signs, uh, they say, in John's Gospel. Uh, we've reached the second. Uh, and, um, and it's a wonderful miracle that Jesus, with a word, brings life to a desperate situation. Let me pray as we come together under his word. Our loving Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for what you have taught us already or reminded us of already this morning. We thank you that Jesus is Lord and thank you that we can trust in him. And we pray, Lord, as we uh, study this word together, that our hearts will be set on fire for you, that you would grow our trust that we would walk obediently uh, in your footsteps uh, this day on. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, whose side are you on? In the American Civil War, uh, which is a long time ago, uh, a minister told the US president, who happened to be Abraham Lincoln, um, he said, we, we, I hope that God is on our side. And Abraham Lincoln's response was emphatic and it was biblical. Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side, 
my greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Well, in our Bible reading, Jesus wants people to make that decision, to decide whose side are they on. And to have faith uh, is to join God's side. To have faith in Christ is joining God's team, God's family. And it's where Jesus becomes your commander, your captain, uh, your salvation. Uh, in fact, your Messiah. Last week, we saw the residents of a Samaritan town called Sychar. Uh, they come and they spend time with Jesus. They listen to his teaching and they believe. They have faith. They put their faith in him. And they weren't even Israelites. And in verse 43 in our passage, if you've got it there in front of you, Jesus then returns to Galilee, uh, his homeland, and to the people who are supposedly most hungry for God's Messiah to return. But look at verse 44. There is no honor for Jesus. For, for There is no treating Jesus as commander, captain, salvation. No genuine faith. And sure, verse 45, they welcome Jesus, which is nice, isn't it? But why do they welcome him? Well, look at verse 45 again. They had seen all that Jesus had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. They'd seen his signs and they had been there as well. And they saw how amazing Jesus was. He was the local boy made good. He was a hit. And so they welcome him. He was a celebrity. They wanted him near them. They wanted Jesus to join their team. But Jesus isn't interested in joining their team. My first point, Jesus is looking for genuine faith. Verse 48, Jesus is looking for genuine or real faith. Well, it's less common now, isn't it? But sometimes one was given some fake money. It looks like a 50 pound note, but when you take it to the bank, they do a couple of tests and they realize it's a forgery or a fake. And that means that 50 pound note is worthless and you might as well screw it up and throw it in the bin. It looked genuine. It looked like the real thing, but it wasn't. Well, in our Bible reading, that's what we're learning. We're learning that it's possible to have that fake faith. It looks genuine. It looks like faith, but in reality, it's a fake. And we've seen it before. Um, Back in chapter two, you see this section of John's gospel has started and finished with a sign at Cana in Galilee. So there's two signs. That, that means it provides a bracket. And on the one sign, in chapter two, verse one, do you remember Jesus turns the water into wine? And this one here, this sign today, he brings life out of death by healing the official son. And verse 54 says, this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So everything between those two signs belong together. And the theme that runs through that whole section is faith or belief, which should not surprise us because remember John's reason for writing. 
right at the end of his gospel, he says this. Uh, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So these things in John are written that we would believe. And this word signs he uses um, is not complicated. Um, it's just another word for miracles. And they're specially chosen by John uh, to teach us important truths about Jesus and the life that he brings. And back in chapter two, he changes water into wine. And verse 11, we read there that Jesus thus reveals his glory. He shows everyone how amazing he is, that he is God's person, God's man. And we read also that the disciples believe. But very soon after that, there's a warning flag. In chapter 2, verse 23, um, where it's telling us about the miracles up in Jerusalem, it says, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs that he was performing and believed. Hurrah! Oh, but verse 24, Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So Jesus knew their faith was skin deep. It was all about loving the miracles, and they hadn't understood the person Jesus that they claimed to believe in. And in chapter 3, we're told that Nicodemus, that religious leader in Israel, was one of them. Uh, verse 2 in chapter 3, he, we read that he saw the signs, and he believed that Jesus was a teacher from God. But that's not enough. Jesus was so much more than a teacher from God. In fact, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need your life completely transformed into a new life. And could it be that we too have failed to believe in the real Jesus? Many people believe in Jesus, that he actually lived that he died, and even that he rose again. But that's not enough. Some people like his teaching. They see it as a good standard for life, but that's not enough. In other words, these people want to add Jesus to their way of life. They're making their own decisions. They're living their own lives as they decide. And they live, they invite Jesus to be a part of that. And in chapter 2, People enjoying the miracles, they want more and more and more, but Jesus will not entrust himself to them. In other words, he doesn't believe in their belief. He doesn't, he says no. Jesus is looking for genuine faith, real faith. And that's found in Samaria, wasn't it, last week? Jesus did not visit the town. He didn't go into the town. He didn't perform signs and miracles. And yet we read at the end of that passage, many believed. But now he's back in his homeland, and whilst there's a welcome, a homecoming, there's a resistance to the true Jesus. And so when this royal official turns up, and he's an important man, he's working for King Herod, he arrives, and despite his importance, he, he begs Jesus to come and heal his son. And Jesus' reply shows us this frustration about the lack of faith. You only want me for one thing, says Jesus in verse 48. 
unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now this father, like others from Galilee, would have heard about Jesus, the rumours, he would have heard about the water and to wine perhaps, he was only down the road, 20 miles, but he was desperate. His son is close to death. Jesus may be the last resort. And Capernaum was a day's walk from Cana, but despite his rank, despite his importance, he comes all that way to ask Jesus, come. And Jesus' reply sounds harsh, doesn't it? And in some senses, well, it is harsh. It has to be harsh because this is a matter of life and death. Not for the man's son alone, but for the people of Galilee. In fact, he says, you people, in verse 48, and, and us as well, you and I. Jesus is so loving and compassionate that he wants to wake people up. And he will hurt our feelings to do it. Because it's not just our lives, but our eternity that hangs in the balance. This is about our forever. This is what the word life means in that verse in chapter 20. These things are written that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. And by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the forever life that's on offer. And if we get it wrong, we will spend eternity separated from God's loving presence and what the Bible calls hell. So this is really, really important. We need to get it right. Is my faith genuine or is it a fake? Well, wonderfully, as this encounter with the royal official continues, we learn what real faith looks like. And it's not about going to church. <laughs> Firstly, Jesus is looking for genuine faith, verse 48. And secondly, real faith takes Jesus at his word, verse 50. Remember that the people are eager for miracles, signs and wonders. They will follow Jesus around. Um, they'll welcome him. They'll invite him to join their gang. But Jesus can't, but it doesn't honor Jesus. Uh, it does not treat Jesus as he is supposed to be treated. And he can't entrust himself to them. But in this conversation here, we see faith blossoming, coming to life. Jesus rebukes the people of Galilee, including this desperate dad. But rather than walk away and getting angry and so on, uh, which Naaman does actually in 2 Kings 5, maybe read it. Um, something presses into the man. He simply, something got it, got him grabbed him and he and he presses Jesus again he pleads with Jesus it's as though a penny is dropping about Jesus's authority Jesus's majesty this king sir this day this father desperate father serves a king already doesn't he he serves Herod but Jesus in front of him seems like the real deal sir he says sir come before my child dies you are the answer. For him, King Jesus was the answer to the future of his son, and maybe more. And wonderfully, Jesus replies in verse 50, go, your son will live. Go? But surely you're supposed to come with me. Aren't you supposed to come and sort of lay your hands on the boy or wave them around a bit and, and say some prayers? Remember, the the royal official had, had come all this way. 
And that's what he had asked for from the start. Come to the house, come and heal my son. But Jesus says, go, your son will live. Or what will the official do? What would you do? Personally speaking, maybe I would question it. Are you sure? Don't you think you should come? Have you done the right, this sort of thing before? Have you done it by, from, from a distance? Or look at the key to faith in the second half of verse 50. Ready? The man took Jesus at his word and departed. A word from this king, this Messiah, was enough. Jesus pronounces his instruction and the father believes the words and goes. Surely there would be questions in his mind. Could this be true? Could this really be happening? But then halfway home, he sees his servants coming towards him. They're only there for one reason, to give him the news. And the news is great. What's happened? Well, we knew that you'd want to hear this straight away. Your son will live. He's, he's revived. And this news would have been the best news ever. But dad knows. Dad believes. But to confirm his suspicions, he says, well, what time was this? When he started reviving? Verse 52. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, your son will live. This is the final conclusive proof that Jesus was and is God's saving Messiah. Verse 54, the father believed, his whole household believed. And it's a wonderful picture of the compassion and the power of Jesus. His words bring the son to life. It revives the grieving father. And more crucially, it rescues the whole household uh, from sin, from, from turning away from God and living for themselves and turning them back to the Lord God and receiving everlasting life. Each week, the staff team meets. I don't know if you know this. We meet and discuss the passage we're going to preach on the Sunday. And one member drew my attention to the love and compassion of Jesus that we see here. The very fact that he goes back to Galilee to preach and do miracles. And because he knows, do you remember, that a prophet is, is not honoured in his hometown. Jesus knows, knows this crowd that's coming to him to welcome him aren't honouring him. He knows he won't be praised and worshipped in the way that he should be. And yet he comes to them and he teaches and preaches and offers himself to them. So we rejoice that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. The world, despite its darkness and sin, our hearts, despite its darkness and sin, God loved us and so gave up his son unto death so that we might know life, eternal life. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus' power and compassion here in this passage. And the question begs, do you believe it? Do you believe in this? Do you take hold of Jesus and ask him to be your Lord, your captain, your salvation? Now, you might be there thinking, well, my faith is really wobbly and weak. But that's okay. 
we all struggle with weak faith often. But that's not the point. It's not about the object of our faith. Um, sorry, it's about the object of a faith. It's about who we believe in, not about the strength of our faith. That's what matters. And Jesus promises to hold his children, however wobbly our faith is, however confident we're feeling. So the question is, are you on his side? Do we see that? Being on his side, it's, you're getting on his ship. You're getting in his team. You're existing for him, not the other way around. Or are you one of those people who are still inviting him to join your gang, to be partaking in your life, doing what you want him to do? Well, this royal official, as he is born again in front of our eyes, demonstrates what it means to believe. Verse 50, look again. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his words. It's a great expression of faith wobbly faith or not, to take Jesus at his word. You see, if we're going to take someone at their word, it's because of who they are, their character and so on. And we say, well, who is Jesus to me? Well, if he's captain, if he's Lord, if he's saviour, then I'll take him at his word. I have to. We can question it. We can wobble over it. But we take him at his word. The Galileans are running around looking for signs and enjoying those signs and saying, let's have more signs. And Jesus later on says, well, it's OK for starters. It's OK, but you need to move on. These signs are just that. They're signs. They're pointing to something else. They're pointing to, to me, says Jesus. So don't miss out at what the signs are pointing to. It's his word that we are to listen to, to trust in and to obey. And that's what the Samaritans did, didn't they, in that last passage? It was Jesus' word that set them on fire. It convinced them that he was Lord. And for the writer John of this gospel, he says, these things are written that you would believe. Seeing is not necessarily believing. So are you trusting in Jesus' words? Do you find his word trustworthy? Many people do struggle with their, his words. In fact, John's gospel, it is Jesus' word that increasingly drives people away. They don't like what he teaches about himself, about our sinful hearts. And despite all the evidence, all these signs, they get angry with Jesus and they leave him. And in fact, they end up killing him. In fact, at one point in John chapter six, uh, plenty of disciples leave Jesus. But the 12, Jesus turns to the 12 and said, what about you? Are you going to go? And Peter says, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Or maybe you struggle with what Jesus teaches about sin or about himself being God. Maybe you struggle with his words about identity, um, about suffering, about sex. Maybe you struggle with his words and many words on judgment and hell. And the most beautiful human being that ever lived teaches those things in love. Well, meet the man, look at the evidence, and see whether he is trustworthy. And let me just say again that we're running a Christianity Explore course in September. We'd love you to join us. 
but let's explore who Jesus is so we can take him at his word. Well, this man took Jesus at his word and departed. And the word that brought his son back from the brink of death convinces the father's heart that Jesus was king and worth obeying. But Christian friends, um, this is a daily challenge, isn't it? To trust in Jesus, to obey him. This week, there'll be all sorts of obstacles and pressures. But there, amongst it all, Jesus stands as Lord. But it's personal, like it was for the Samaritan woman, like it is for this official in our passage today. It's personal. Jesus is your commander. He's your captain. He's your salvation. Yes, we fail often, but do we seek to trust him, to do his will? Is that our trajectory? In the big things, things you sometimes find it hard to get your head around, in the tough stuff when we'd rather turn away and not get involved with what Jesus is doing, but rather do we turn and press in, draw closer to him, trusting in Jesus with with it, trusting his word, taking it and obeying it. The big stuff, but also the small stuff, the daily struggles, often just simply putting one foot in front of the other. At each turn, reminding yourself who's in charge and taking Jesus at his word. And perhaps this will mean spending more time in his word, knowing it better, trusting in it more, treasuring it. In our house, we've recently been looking at the book of Joshua. And as Joshua is handed the leadership of the nation and is told to go into into the promised land with all these adversaries and obstacles, uh, the Lord says, read my word, keep it, meditate on it, obey it. We are people of faith, sometimes weak faith, but we have staked everything on Jesus. We have joined his side. So we listen to his words daily amidst all the wobbles and the trials, and we do them, or we seek to do them, because those words bring life. And as the Psalm 37 says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He's got this. And if this morning you are undecided, about Jesus, that Jesus is still a fact rather than a friend, and you're wondering if you can entrust your whole life to this man? Well, the answer is a million times yes. 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 Take Jesus at his word, because that's what genuine faith does, where real faith comes from. Well, I am going to, I was going to pray, but I think we're going to sing our hymn now as a prayer. And um, I think I'm going to hand over to Steve, who's going to lead us now.